Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People gift card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem at any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Helen Milroy is a descendant of the Palkiu people of the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Helen is a consultant child and adolescent psychiatrist and a board member with Beyond Blue. Helen is the author of a range of books bringing First Nations stories to young children, including the Tales from the Mob series, Alan Star, Wombat Mudlark and Other Stories, and Backyard Birds. And today I'm talking to Helen Milroy about her two new books for children, Crow Baby and Bushbugs. Helen Milroy, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Hairy bugs, scary bugs, big bugs, small bugs. Bush bugs is a wonderful parade of beautifully illustrated bug portraits. But how do you make a bug shortlist? <laughs> well, that's the hard bit because we actually have an amazing array of the most beautiful, interesting and sometimes very dangerous insects and, and crawly creatures in this country. So it was hard to come up with the shortlist. But what I decided to do for this particular one uh, was to you know, try to go from something very, very small to something very, very large. And that made it a little bit easier to just go through the different sizes and the categories. But I also wanted it to be fun, a bit interesting, and to give kids an opportunity just to explore that fascinating world of creepy crawlies. And most of your bugs are native bugs, but I did spy a tarantula in there. Yeah, well, you know, we do have tarantulas, so... There you go. You learn something every day I talk to an author. <laughs> uh, several times this summer, I've struggled to find the beauty in a blowfly, but somehow <laughs> you seem to manage it. How do you do it? Well, I think the thing about bugs for me is that they are sometimes ordinary, everyday things that we come across. And so they deserve to have some recognition in our lives that they exist. And as much as we, we do hate the blowfly, when you actually take it down and have a look at it, it's really quite a fascinating little creature. And it, so, you know, in its in its in all its glory, it can be quite beautiful. And I think I just wanted to be able to show children in a way that it's okay that all of these things exist around us and we just have to learn what they are and what they mean and perhaps what they do. And most of the time we find that they do have a place in that bigger system of life, that ecological framework system that I often talk about. We all exist side by side in a very big world. And you also have a particular focus on movement. I notice there's a lot of words like squirm. Uh, that seems like a catalyst for classroom chaos, but still. <laughs> um, I like also the way you've, uh, in a sense, highlighted some of those words very subtly, uh, which I guess draws emphasis to that word. Why have you done that? Well, I also think for really little kids, it's nice if there's a little pattern to the words and and the. that's why there's a little bit of a rhyme. Because when kids are first learning words and language, if you have a song or a rhyme or a movement, it helps them to actually lay down those memory tracks so important to early development and the development of language. So if you can combine those sorts of things together and the child actually remembers it, then that's a great way to increase their capacity for reading later on and their literacy skills in general. Can we look forward to Bushbugs 2 and who might make the shortlist there? 
Well, I did backyard bugs, of course, which was all the local ones you find in your backyard. I think bush bugs one is going to be it. But what I will move on to next, um, it was going to be bush um, bush beasties, the same as backyard beasties that I've already done. But we decided to to alter that. And I think there's going to be a surprise for the kids because we're going to do bush babies instead and have a look at all of the baby animals that exist in our beautiful country. Sounds like a lovely companion to your other one too, backyard birds. I haven't read that one yet. Yes, there's backyard birds and there's bush birds. And in bush birds, there's the cassowary, which probably a lot of people would not be familiar with, but are in fact um, magnificent birds. And I learned something very interesting about cassowaries because they jump. Now, (laughs) I've watched lots of YouTube videos about cassowaries jumping because that's how they sometimes get fruit off trees. And I thought that was a really interesting thing about one of our beautiful birds. I don't know whether it's a myth or not, but I've heard they're also quite dangerous. They can be, yeah. They they can be. And you, you best stay away from them. But, we, you know, we don't see them very often. So I think that would require a, a lot of travelling all around Australia before you got to see a cassowary. And probably up in the sort of Queensland far north is where you'd find them. I haven't seen one in Sydney, that's for sure. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. Long, long ago, when the universe was newly created, there were times when special things could happen. These times were unpredictable and unique. Anything was possible. Sometimes a strange glow would fill the sky like twilight, and time itself seemed to slow down. It was during one of these times that Crow Baby was born. In the heavens, a crow spirit was waiting to come down to the earth to take her place with the crow clan. But because time had slowed, the spirit's journey was altered. Instead of arriving for the birth of a baby crow, the crow spirit arrived at the birth of a human baby. When the baby was born, a strange glow surrounded the infant. No one knew what this meant, but everyone knew it was very special. Crow baby is what we might call, or what I might think of as a creation story. Does the crow baby story in your book have origins in your own heritage? Not directly, but certainly all of the creation stories are about how things came to be in this world and things that might be be different, that change over time. And a lot of creation stories are also about the way of things and how things exist for us to understand as we continue on in our life journey. So it's not a traditional story from that perspective. It's not a handed down creation story, but it is based on Indigenous ways of storytelling. And there are innumerable variations on creation stories in many cultures. Why is it important to tell creation stories in general, but particularly of our First Nations people? Storytelling is our oldest form of learning. It's been around really since the beginning of humankind. And it's very important uh, in terms of the way uh, storytelling is used for development. So storytelling isn't just about a story. Um, It's actually about instilling hope. It's about understanding life and relationships, where we fit and how everything in the world fits together. So creation stories, Indigenous storytelling is about life lessons, resilience, autonomy, understanding, inclusion, kinship, navigation. It includes all of those forms of learning within it. So I think that it has many purposes, but it's still our best form of learning, particularly for children, but actually for everybody, including old people. And the story in Crow Baby is a a sorrowful one in many ways. Should we be hesitant in telling these kinds of stories to children? 
No, not at all. Um, I think that we underestimate children and we tend to think that, you know, children are always happy. And, you know, for some kids, that's probably true. Children go through exactly the same range of emotions as we all do as, as people. They have angry times, happy times, sad times, joyful times. And it is important for children to understand a whole range of emotions and how to express them and how to talk about them. So it's actually a really important opportunity for parents and children to come together and be able to express feelings together. That's healthy for relationships and it's healthy for development. Last week I learned about the Jiddy Jiddy which is Noongar for Willy Wagtail. Such a fun word to say, I've got to add. But apparently the Jiddy Jiddy has the potential to lead one astray when on country. But where might the crow lead me? So the crow has different forms of symbolism depending on the cultural group. Um, all birds can be messengers, um, messengers, I should say. So all birds can be messengers and that can be both good and bad. And I think for some cultural groups, the Jiddy Jiddy is always the bringer of bad news, but it... In our country, for example, the Jiddy Jiddy is just a messenger, so it can be good or bad news. And all crows can can do that. All birds can do that. And, and crows in particular have a, a very loud voice. So they often signal things that are coming, um, people that are coming, changing weather patterns, those sorts of things. So it really depends on the cultural group, the meaning of the crow. But they tend to exist everywhere, and they're pretty magnificent birds when you think about it. Absolutely. It's also a good opportunity to go, ah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and don't you love being noisy when you're a kid? <laughs> Daisy Crow, your main character, if I can call her a main character, takes her name from your own Nana Daisy. Is there a little bit of Nana Daisy in Daisy Crow? Oh, absolutely. So I loved my Nan. She was just the most beautiful, lovely woman that you could ever imagine. And she'd had a really difficult life. If you can imagine what life was like for an Aboriginal woman growing up in the early 1900s. In fact, she was probably born... Um, in the late um, 1890s. Uh, we're not completely sure of the birth date. But, you know, it was a very, very hard life and it didn't really matter what happened to Nan. She retained her dignity and her compassion and her beauty. And so this book was partly dedicated to her because I've always held Nan in my heart and she kind of brought me up really because mum had to work hard and make sure that we were all going to be okay as a family. And so I spent a lot of time when I was a kid with Nan used to follow her around the garden all the time. And so I thought about her coming back as a crow because that's her totem and, you know, I used to see Nan around as a crow after she passed. And I thought, well, what would that be like, having both that crow spirit and her own spirit at the same time? So, you know, we all get given totems or most of us get given totems. And when you look to your totem, you you see it as a source of strength and you see it as a source of connection and it's also part of your life in terms of thinking about how you might look after that totem as well. And so it led me to wondering what it's like for it to be joined together. And I just thought about it and asked Nan and see what she thinks. And that's how the story came about. Well, it's a beautiful story, that's for sure. But one thing that struck me about both Bushbugs and Crow Baby, they both have the enormous potential for eliciting questions from young people, uh, which prompted me to ask my own. If the Hercules moth has no mouth to feed, as you say, how does it eat its dinner? It doesn't. What does it do? <laughs> well, it doesn't last long. So its purpose in life is not to be around for very long. So it doesn't need to feed. No. Ah. It's done all its feeding. Genius. Mm. 
Crowbaby also introduces some very interesting cultural concepts, things like crow spirit, spirit journey, dream journeys. What advice do you give to those who might be reading these books, reading these books aloud and, and along with young people? Uh, how would you advise them to approach these sorts of ideas? These sorts of concepts are really interesting. And I think that what I love about storytelling in particular, and, and obviously Indigenous storytelling um, from my perspective, is that it creates an opportunity to be and do whatever you, you can imagine. And that's what I, what I love about stories in general. Anything is possible. And, of course, from a, an Aboriginal perspective, you know, dream stories and, and different spirits and all of the like are very much part of cultural belief systems and cultural experiences within life. But there are many cultures and many people who have different sorts of experiences that they can't really explain. And so this allows an opportunity to think about how we connect to the natural world, how we think about our relationships with nature. And from an Aboriginal perspective, we're meant to be part of that ecological framework. We, we don't exist in isolation from the rest of the world. We are part of that same beginning and ending, that same cycle of life. So everything that's around us is part of a relationship. So when we think about um, birds and animals and things like that, we should be thinking about them in terms of a relationship, not in terms of us being superior, but how we look after nature, how nature looks after us. And so we have that continual cycle of life. We're only on this earth for a certain amount of time. And so we should look after it the best we can and ensure that it's safe then and, and it's flourishing for the next generation that comes after us. And, and that that's how we get that assurance of the cycle of life. And if we do that, and if we think about our experiences differently, then we just have a much safer and better connection in life in general. One of the things that I did with um, Backyard Birds, for example, was I tried to bring in the idea that you can talk to the birds, you can have a relationship with them. And let's take the example of our beautiful magpies. If you go and talk to your magpies, they talk back to you. You can actually have a relationship with them. You can warble to them, you can whistle to them, and they, they will develop a song that's yours. I've got one that um, comes right up to me in the backyard. He's not afraid of me at all. And actually, I do talk to him. Exactly. I don't, I don't know whether he listens. <laughs> I think they do. If you, In fact, you know, magpies are the great mimics, really, in the bird world, plus a few others. And so what magpies will do is they'll learn a different song for each house they go and visit. And so they'll learn your phrasing and your sound of your voice. And they may even mimic it or you can warble to them. So, you know, I've, I think I've taught thousands of children to go out onto the front porch or to, onto the road, not to the road, onto the footpath and warble to magpies. Then, of course, if you make the magpies your friends, they don't swoop you and they know you're safe. So if you take that one, one step further, sometimes there's more to life than just the things that we kind of traditionally hear about or learn about. And so having that magic in life, stay with you lifelong, is a wonderful way to introduce children into the natural world. That natural world and the spiritual dimension is beautifully complemented by your own illustrations. Some of them have this wonderful, dark, luminous quality with very rich colours too and a very distinctive colour palette. I wondered how you attune your colour palette to your stories. Well, all the best colours are in nature. I mean, all the all the colours we have come from nature and you can find them all in the world somewhere. And I'm always fascinated when you dig deep into the earth to see the different colours. If you, if you, I mean, I live in, in Boralu in Perth and if I drive from Perth up to Kununurra, which is right up the top of Western Australia, 
you see so many different colours in the landscape. You go from white, beachy, sand, coastal type earth right through to the deep reds of the Pilbara and up through the Kimberley. And all those colours are there. We just don't always focus on them. We, we tend to think of, of, of the earth as kind of like dirty sand or something. But in actual fact, it has layers and layers of colour. If you are in a plane and you look out the window and you have a look at the earth, you'll see the most wondrous colours beneath you. But we don't often focus on it. So I think what I've tried to do with with the the colours and the and the patterns is just bring nature in every form. Nature also has the best patterns. If you have a look sometimes at water or rivers or mountains, they just have these glorious patterns in them. And so do the birds and the the flowers. It's all around us. And so I tried to capture some of that in the illustrations as well. And the blowflies. They even even have a bit of luminescent green, and if you look at their little the little wings, their their wings are just quite amazing when you think about it. The, the architecture of their wings is 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 something to behold, really. Now, mental health features strongly in your training, your background, and in your work. I wondered if that brings a particular perspective to your writing and to your storytelling. It sure does, and I think that what um, what I hope to be to be able to do with the books that. I really can't do within a mental health system is that I want it to be a positive influence for children on a broader scale. So while you work in mental health, and certainly I've been in policy and other sorts of things where hopefully there's more influence, but when you're working in a service environment, for example, you're really only influencing perhaps the outcome of one child or one family at a time. And although that's really important and it's fantastic to see recovery, if you can influence a whole generation of children through stories, You just hope that it creates a greater sense of hope in the world, a bit of magic, plus resilience. And that sort of, um, I guess that, you know, when you see a child's eye really sparkle because they're really loving something, that's just such a wonderful gift. And I think that's what I want to see for children. In mental health services, um, particularly over, you know, my career, which is, you know, some decades now, you see a lot of children who are distressed and you see a lot of children who are labelled in a very negative way. And with all of my books, what I've tried to do is help children to see themselves in a very positive way, having place, having purpose, having reason for being here and really promoting their unique connection with the rest of that ecological framework which we talked about. Everyone is born with a special place and purpose in life. They just have to realise that. Helen, it's been a pleasure to talk bugs and birds and thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me and I hope everyone enjoys the stories. I've been talking to Helen Milroy about her new books for children, Crow Baby and Bush Bugs. They're published by Fremantle Press and you can find them at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Gobbs and thanks for listening. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People gift card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.